Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. That's our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I don't have a bunch going on, so we'll get to questions right away. Let me just say two things. First, um, I'm going to be teaching tonight out of 1 Kings chapter 20. Um, I think it's a really, really relevant passage of Scripture, um, especially for the time that we're experiencing here in the United States of America. So the application of tonight's passage ought to be uh, pretty simple and I think uh, practical. And then uh, tomorrow, Paula will be here on date day edition of the program. So it'll be our last time together for a couple of weeks because we're going on vacation on Monday. Um, Pastor Ken will be here uh, next week. And um, we just love to have your phone calls and questions tomorrow. If there's anything on your heart that uh, you think Paula might be able to help you with, then we would appreciate the phone call. Here is a question from Abel. He says, I really struggle with the lack of justice in the world and even in the church. Why can't I let go of the need to make things right? Uh, Abel, I don't know. You know, some people are just wired. Their DNA is is wired uh, and, and injustice just kills them. Now, it ought to bother all of us, and it does, but there are some people, and apparently you're one of them, who really, really struggles. You know, you just got to fix something. And I think the real problem is that you realize that you really can't fix anything at all. You see, one of the things when we find people that are always looking out, well, this is wrong and this is wrong, we have to fix this and we have to fix this, those are the people that aren't really looking inside at their own hearts. Paul said to the Corinthians that we're to examine ourselves daily to see whether or not we're in the faith. We're not to look around at the world around us and judge us, nor should we be surprised at the lack of justice in a world that's given over to sin. So I think we have to remember to take care of those things that we can do something about, and that's our own walk with Jesus. And one of the the devil's favorite tricks is to get us looking out instead of looking in. And I think, Abel, this is one of those things where you're going to have to practice. I mean, old habits are hard to break. And I think we have to just get to the point where we realize that the most unjust thing that's ever happened in this world 
was when Jesus took the price for your sins and mine. Jesus who was perfect, Jesus who was holy and had done nothing but good, gave his life. If he did that for us, well then we ought to be convinced that he is the only answer for injustice. I also think this sense of of I have to do something is used by the enemy to get our focus off of those things that we need to correct in our own lives. That's why I said looking out is never the right place but looking in. And again, there are just some people that are are wired that way and just like everybody else, they've got to deny their flesh. Now let me deal with this a little bit more generally, Abel, because um, we, we've... Um, we see an unjust world. Um, babies are being killed. We see um, people who are being um, literally canceled from the culture that we live in. Uh, and, and I think if we focus on what they're doing, then we lose sight of the fact that God loves them. It's easy then to make those people the enemy of our gospel rather than the object of our gospel. So this is just another area of flesh. This is the way the enemy attacks some people. I've had some people in the church over the years, uh, able who just could not cope with the fact that something that they considered unjust wasn't being dealt with in the way that they thought it should. And none of those people, when we would sit down and talk about it, would look inside at their own walk with the Lord. So again, this is just one of the schemes the enemy has. Again, I want to for clarity, say that we all should be concerned with injustice. Um, but the gospel, Abel, is the answer for injustice. Not us getting our hands dirty and getting involved. Uh, we can pray for people. We can make a decision to love people, even those that are hard to love. We can, as a question that I got yesterday referred to, we can put on love over all these other virtues. And and we, we can stop thinking so much about um, well, well, I'm more concerned about what's right than they are. It's really important. On Sunday, Abel, I'm going to be doing a message uh, that in large part, mostly, will deal with the rich young ruler. Um, he was a man who was concerned with justice. All these things I have done in terms of keeping the commandments, he said, since I was a youth. But still, he walked away sad. And one of the things that I see with people like you, Abel, um, who are always focused on getting justice for some perceived wrong, is they're not joyful people. They're not happy people. They're not living the abundant life that Jesus wants them to. And the answer is always, I'll quote the Apostle Paul, set your mind and your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of glory. If we'll do that, then we're not looking out and getting irritated with people because they don't match our perceived qualifications of righteousness or justice. All we have to do is remember that Jesus loves them and the way that we can best communicate with them is by the power of the Holy Spirit and love and through prayer. I hope able that makes some sense. Here is a question from Michael. Now, I'm going to read this question. Keep in mind, I get these questions, and this question is obviously uh, several days, maybe even as much as a week old. It takes some time to get to all the questions. Michael says, you are having an afterglow Friday. What does that mean? Uh, I I made the the announcement on this radio program uh, several times. This is for the advocation of the audience here. Uh, that on Friday night, because we'd finished the book of Revelation, uh, it is our our practice here at Calvary Chapel, San Antonio. Friday nights, we nobody's in a hurry. Uh, it's a wonderful night, by the way. And, and so uh, when we finish a book, then we have an afterglow before we go on to the next book. And uh, it was this past Friday night. And um, we always have a, a good crowd. People are excited about it. And Michael, an afterglow... Uh, it comes from um, Genesis 33, where um, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And then the literal translation is, God let the his afterglow pass by. 
and it's uh, uh, you know the backside of his glory because no one can see God's glory and live. So he tucked Moses into a cave and then let his afterglow pass by. And the afterglow service is simply the opportunity that we have here to let the body minister to itself. We have no time on Sundays to exercise spiritual gifts. Um, on Wednesday nights, it's a school night or a work night, so we're not going to spend some time uh, on Wednesdays doing it. But on these Fridays, it's an opportunity for people to share what God's put on their heart. Um, most often, it, the gifts of wisdom and knowledge, uh, the exhortations coming from Scripture are the things that are coming up. And uh, once in a while, there'll be a word in tongues. We had a word in tongues uh, with two interpretations uh, on on this past Friday. And it's just a, an opportunity for the body to minister to itself. It's not just me standing up there teaching. Uh, it's the body ministering to itself. And Michael, it is a sweet time. It is really a sweet time. Uh, we felt like, uh, you know, it's a time when God can meet us as a church. He's meeting individual people. But he's also meeting us as a church. And we felt like God was really exhorting us, preparing us for, for some things that, that we know that he has uh, ahead. And um, um, uh, I, I got the, the word that I was looking for um, probably three-quarters of the way through the evening. And it was just a really sweet time. Nothing weird happens. It's never out of control. Um, it is managed according to the rules set forth in Second Corinthians 12 and 14, especially chapter 14. And uh, it's neat to see people using their gifts uh, to, to be a blessing to others. And in the process, Michael, everybody gets blessed. So that's what our afterglow was. Uh, we're going to be starting, when I get back from vacation, uh, I'm going to be starting um, First Thessalonians. And that's not too long a book, so we'll have um, an afterglow after that. And then we're going to go right into Second Thessalonians. And that's a shorter book. We'll have an afterglow immediately following that. So in the next couple of months, we'll probably have a couple of afterglows coming up. Thank you. Appreciate the question, Michael. Let's take our first phone call. Our friend Ruben from Seguin is on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing really well, Ruben. Thank you. How about you? I am blessed. I am blessed. Thank you. Uh, two questions. The book of Revelation, uh, chapter 18 Oh, my God. And I lost where it was. Oh, I'm looking at trying to find it right now. But it speaks It speaks to a beast, I believe. It says, oh, my God, which one was it? I'm trying to scroll as fast as I can. It says, he who was or, or who was and is not, then shall be. And he's talking about a beast, I think. Oh, but I can't remember the. I just had it here because I have two questions. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, Pastor Ron. That's all right. I'm trying to find it. Uh, I know it's in Chapter 18. Yeah. Um... I, have to, I, need a, I need a verse... Uh... To, to yeah, that's what, what I'm trying to write, but I can't for the life of me. Um, let me let me ask you. Okay, let me ask you the other question, and then I'll I'll go and look back, and then I'll ask you this one. In 19, okay. it speaks about ten kings, or yeah, 19 speaks about ten kings. Uh, I can't remember what verse either, but but I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, mm -hmm. Is he referring to uh, like presidents uh, or or, or uh, kings like from other countries in the future that are going to come into into reign or to, over a certain country like Russia or or uh, uh, or you know other countries is that what he's talking about? Yeah, no, no, Reuben. Uh, the ten kings are a reference to the the kingdom of the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation. Uh, remember, chapter 19 is where Jesus comes back. And the, uh, the, uh, just prior to that, the Antichrist 
the man that we call the Antichrist. It's not really his title, but um, he he is going to try to to uh, completely control the world. Uh, he's going to wage war against Jesus uh, and and us when we come back with him. Uh, but the ten kings are uh, a fulfillment of the prophecy from Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9, which speaks about a ten-nation coalition that are going to give their power to the beast. Now, they're only going to rule for a short time because the the Antichrist, uh, once he's demonically empowered, uh, he's not going to want to share his glory. But these are a ten-nation coalition. Uh, It is a revived Roman Empire, by the way. Um, and uh, that's that's what's being referred to here. And the Antichrist, that's how he's going to come to power, and then he's going to usurp the power from them, and he's going to exercise complete and total authority over what's left in the world. So, Reuben, that's what he's talking about there, and all of that is going to be set right when we get to Revelation chapter 19, and Jesus comes back. Thank you, Reuben. If you think of the other one, you can email it or give us another call. Thank you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question. It is from Elijah. He says, Pastor, are people in heaven praying for us? Is it okay to ask them to pray? Elijah, no. People in heaven are not praying for us. There's one people in heaven, just one person. His name is Jesus. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Paul writes, and and he's the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. Now, I want to be really clear. This doesn't mean that Jesus is in heaven saying, Father, please give Ron this or, or hear Ron's prayer and do this. Jesus is in the literal Greek, in that Hebrews passage, Hebrews 7, is he is an ever-living, everlasting statement of intercession. He made the way. He opened for us access to the throne in heaven. And because of what he did, then our prayers, if we're praying in the will of God and we're praying for the glory of God, our prayers are automatically heard. So uh, Jesus is the only person in heaven who is serving as an intercessor. He's praying for us. But people that have died and gone to be with Jesus, they're not praying because they're standing with the Lord. They're standing with Jesus. And, and uh, you know, there's no more sorrow, no more pain. Certainly they're not going to be involved in things going on here in the earth because that would bring them right back to the place of sorrow and pain. So uh, that's not the case. Now, regarding the question, is it okay to ask people in heaven to pray? The answer is absolutely not. This is one of the the, the horrible um, um, deficiencies in Roman Catholic doctrine. You know, you can pray to saints. You can pray to dead people that you knew. Um, you, you you pray to Mary, of course, and and uh, that's simply unbiblical. And in fact, it is an abomination to the Lord to talk to people in heaven uh, when when Jesus is there and He's alive and He's the one who made the way for us uh, is uh, an abomination to God. So no, we shouldn't talk to dead people, even though they're literally alive in heaven. We shouldn't talk to them. Uh, don't don't they're not going to hear your prayers because only God. It can hear our prayers. So, Elijah, uh, no and no is the answer to your question. It's not okay to ask them to pray. Here is a question from Carolyn. She says, Isaiah 55 says that we are to seek the Lord while he may be found. Why wouldn't he be found at a future date? That's a great question. And you've got to get the sort of the, the, the context of the chapter to understand I'm sorry, to understand exactly uh, what were being said. Uh, I'm going to just read a few of the verses and make brief comments before I get down to verse 7, Carolyn. Um, Verse 1 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, I like invitations, and this is just an invitation. Um, God continually invites people to come to him in scriptures, and so should we. And then he says, why spend money on what is not bread in your labor and what does not satisfy? And then he says this, and, and these are always important exhortations. Listen, and then to emphasize the point, listen to me, and eat what is good in your soul will delight in the richest affair. Um, this invitation, Carolyn, is not for everyone. 
You know, there are those who think they're fine the way they are. They won't come. They won't listen, listen. Um, uh, this is invitation of those who are thirsty and hungry, thirsty for living water, hungry for the bread of life, Jesus. Um, it's, it's important that we understand God is inviting everybody to come, but not everybody will come. You know, I pray, Carol, I'm, I'm going to get to the specific verse that you asked about in a moment, but I think this is important. Um, I pray daily for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, and the angry. Now, the hungry, this is what I'm talking about. I'm praying, Lord, send us people with a hunger for your word. Send us people who want more of your spirit. Send us people that are hungry for your will in their lives. And, And obviously God does that, but that's exactly what this invitation is from God through the prophet Isaiah. Um, it's just that simple. Um, these are the people that God is always reaching out to. Uh, the rest of this beautiful psalm, and it's what Isaiah 55 really is, um, Jesus will use to draw each and every one of us closer to him. You know, everything that we think that we have to buy... The rich young ruler, Sunday's message, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Everything is free. It costs God everything, but it costs us nothing. I think too many of us know that coming to God is free, but we act like we have to bring something to God uh, in order to to move forward with him uh, in our Christian lives. So um, we, we we can bring nothing. God does all the work. Uh, and the New Testament says, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete that good work. And then he, for further exhortion in verse 3, give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Now, from Isaiah's perspective, of course, that's yet future. But but you and I, Carolyn, we own this covenant promise now. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Uh, And then he talks about David a little bit. But then he says in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he was near. Uh, The urgency in this psalm, I think, is uh, significant. Um, We need to seek the Lord uh, early and often, day after day. God is near to us. He can be found by every one of us right here in the moment. In the New Testament, Paul um, quotes this. He says, uh, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. All we have to do is seek him. Um, The picture to take from this is a God who's hanging around every day just hoping that you're going to turn to him. And um, while God said that he'll always be found if we seek him, Uh, You know, the truth is, we don't have a whole bunch of time left. If Jesus is coming soon, as I believe he is, some of us, like me, are getting older and older. So we need to understand the urgency. And I think we need, especially in the church, Carolyn, to understand this from the perspective of our mission to to make disciples. Uh, It won't wait till tomorrow. It won't wait until another time. Um, um, nothing should take priority in our lives than finishing the work that God has called us to do. So that's what he's talking about there. Uh, Jesus will be found at any given point uh, when we call to him, but we don't know, as I said, how long we have. Tomorrow's not guaranteed to any of us. And so that's why God, through the prophet Isaiah, is calling out, seek him while he may be found in context for Israel, the short-term fulfillment of this prophecy. Um, That short-term judgment was looming for Israel because of their disobedience, their rebellion against God. Judgment was looming, and God is basically saying through Isaiah, look, seek me now, and judgment can be abated. Seek me now, and blessings rather than judgment will be yours. And too many of us, we act as though we've got all the time in the world. And I think the exhortation for New Testament Christians, Carolyn, is simply that it is our responsibility with all of our heart to seek God every day. 
and we'll find that perfect, pleasing, acceptable will for our lives. We'll, we'll be refreshed by those times of refreshing uh, that come from the Holy Spirit, uh, the, 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 the water, uh, that living water that we can drink, and that, that hunger that instinctively lives in each of us as Christians. That, that hunger will just get greater and greater. Paul said, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Those are the things that we can focus on every day, and then God gives us the power to do it. Think of each and every one of us, Carolyn, like a a beautiful car, a a beautiful car, maybe a a $100,000 car, whatever your favorite car is. Um, But there's no gas. Or now I could say there's no electricity. We've run out of juice. Well, every morning we can seek the Lord knowing that he'll hear us and instantly he fills our tanks or our battery packs and then we have all of the power that we need to do anything and everything that God asks us to do. So, Carolyn, I hope that makes sense to you. That is a a very uh, New Testament-ish passage of Scripture. I think that's great. Okay, um... Oh, I'm being told that music. Oh, there's the music right now. Boy, this first half hour went fast. We'd love your live calls and questions. The phone's been pretty quiet this week, which is a little unusual. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday afternoon program, 340-9585. Reuben, I know you're still listening. I think the question you were asking about was Revelation chapter 17, Verse 10, where he's talking about there are also seven kings, five have fallen, five have fallen to the Antichrist. One is, uh, the other has not yet, has not yet come, um, but when he does come, he must remain a little while. Uh, if that's the one you're talking about, you can give me an email, shoot me an email, let me know, and we'll sort of answer the question for you as best we're able to. Here is a question from Benjamin. Benjamin says, Pastor Ron, I saw that a movie about Chuck Smith was coming out. Is it about Calvary Chapel, and are you aware of it? Uh, Actually, I am aware of it, Benjamin, and it is about, it's not necessarily about Calvary Chapel. It's it's really about Chuck Smith and the Jesus People movement. Um, It's really interesting. Uh, Greg Laurie is uh, behind it, or at least part of it. Um, and and this is looks like a pretty big production movie coming out, uh, and I think it's a really good one. There's a and you can still get it, Benjamin. There's a a wonderful video. Uh, I think it's an hour and a half long, uh, called "A Venture in Faith," and uh, it, it's about the Jesus People movement. And I think this movie is sort of based on this. You know what's interesting about this movie? Uh, Kelsey Grammer, uh, of all people, is playing Pastor Chuck. Uh, and and physically you can see that. Uh, and then the guy who plays Jesus in The Chosen is playing Lonnie Frisbee, who was the first hippie that Pastor Chuck met. And they kind of meshed, and, and God used Lonnie Frisbee in some marvelous supernatural ways. Now, Lonnie Frisbee didn't end well, but uh, boy, during the Jesus Movement days, Lonnie was more a vanguard uh, of that Jesus movement, even than Pastor Chuck was. Um, people were getting saved. Lonnie w- was uh, doing things. Some of those things now we would say, well, that's out of control. Uh, but but this was a revival, and the Spirit was doing things unlike um, had been seen in this country ever before. And uh, the the guy that plays Jesus in The Chosen, I think, is brilliant casting. And um, so uh, I'm looking forward to the movie. 
Uh, obviously, I know a lot of those people. I wasn't there, unfortunately, because uh, I didn't want anything to do with Jesus back in those days. I'm old enough to have been, but uh, I'm really excited to see it. I don't think it's uh, it's uh, coming out uh, is imminent. I think it'll still be while they're still shooting the movie. Uh, from from what I understand, um, I, I did see uh, a little while ago um, a preview. Uh, Greg Laurie was doing a quick interview, and I can't remember where I saw it. Maybe it was sent to me by one of the other pastors. Um, but um, Greg asked uh, uh, Kelsey Grammer, remember Frazier, uh, nothing Christian about this guy, but he asked him, uh, he said, uh, um, so, so tell me about your involvement in this movie. And uh, actually there was a, another a comedian cast, uh, Jim Gaffigan was cast in the role of Pastor Chuck initially. And um, um, uh, that just didn't work out during, I guess, the testing or the auditions. And um, and Kelsey Grammer said, you know, I was just, I was at a place in my life. There was a lot of things going on in my career. and I wasn't at a good place. I was just crying out, help, I need to know what to do, what direction to take. And then he started crying, literally. Kelsey Grammer started crying and said uh, the next day, uh, Greg called him about that. And he was so choked up that he couldn't even finish his sentence. Uh, all of that to say, we can be praying for Kelsey Grammer right now because this is a guy who looks like he's about to get saved during all of this. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? So, uh, Benjamin, that's the the most I know about it. We're all looking forward to it, but I think it's still going to be a while before it comes out. Great question. Thank you for that. 2023. Uh, my producer's just telling me 2023 is when the movie is scheduled uh, to come out. Um, you know, uh, again, if you get that venture of faith, I, I'd recommend that to everybody. Um, uh, it's it's uh, interview. Uh, Raul Reese has a big part in it. Greg Laurie has a big part in it. Some of the other Calvary Chapel pastors. Um, uh, I'm also now being told by my producer, Venture in Faith is on YouTube. You can see it there. So uh, it, it is it is just magnificent to watch. And and we need to remember our roots, and that's a really, really great place to remember. Margaret says, my question is about 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. How do we show ourselves approved? Well, Margaret, let me read the passage, and then I'll, I'll answer your question. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, now remember, this is Paul's final correspondence. He knows he's going to die. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished my race. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. He knows that he is going to be separated from his head under the orders of Caesar Nero at any moment. And so this is a letter of urgency. It's the most personal of all of Paul's epistles. And he tells Timothy, Timothy, you're taking over. I'm passing the baton to you. He says, do yourself, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who rightly divides the word of truth. And then he says in the next verse, avoid godless chatter. And then he goes on. So here's how we show ourselves approved, the same way Timothy was. We take the word of God and we rightly divide it. Not ashamed of it, but bold and able to declare it. Um, um, giving the reason for the hope that lies within us. Um, but, 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 but being a man or a woman, Margaret, who correctly handles the word of truth, that means that we can't throw out those parts that we don't like. We can't compromise with the more popular views uh, of the world around us. We've got to say, nope, God said it, um, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend it. Uh, it's true, and truth doesn't change. And then he also tells Timothy, Timothy, avoid godless chatter. I think what he was telling Timothy is, Timothy, when you stand to show yourself approved, um, people are going to talk about you. Don't talk back. You just stay focused on the work. So, Margaret, that's how we show ourselves approved. Uh, if we do that daily, we will demonstrate to, for all the world to see the, the wonderful fruit of the Spirit of God, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Uh, and then we walk worthy of the name Christ. And we walk worthy of the calling that we have in our lives. And, and, and our focus 
is not on ourselves or our life, but our focus is on how we can be a blessing to others. And then you get that reaping and sowing um, um, principle. What, what we sow, we will reap. And when you're a blessing to others, Margaret, when you're showing yourself uh, approved, um, the approval is, of course, by God. And everybody's going to see it. And God will use you effectively in the lives and the hearts of others? That's a really great question, Margaret. I say it this way, just be with Jesus. If you're just with Jesus, you're going to be one who's approved and uh, people are going to notice. Great question. Thank you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Danny says, uh, Pastor Ron, I'm a new believer. What does it mean when someone says to you that you killed Jesus? Danny, I think what they mean, and and, um, if they mean anything else, they're wrong, but I think Jesus died for sins. He died for your sins. Um, uh, The pearl of great price, the parable of the pearl of great price in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 45, I think is where it starts. Uh, Jesus said that, that in that parable, basically, that if you were the only one who accepted his free gift of salvation, that it was worth it for him. So he died for your sin. That's making it as personal as can be. It's not that Rome killed uh, Jesus. It's not that, that Jews killed Jesus. That's the narrative, and those were the people that, that played the key parts at the time. However, the, um, um, the reality is, is my sins were the cause of Jesus' death. And when we get that, then we understand that we're the object of his love. We understand that something very special and very personal happened on that cross at Calvary. Um, and so that's what it means. Danny, you killed Jesus just like I killed Jesus. And um, God is still looking to use you and me to go out and find others who killed him to offer forgiveness. Good question, Danny. Welcome to the family of God. I'm grateful you're a new believer. It is a decision you will never, ever regret, I promise you. Miguel says, I know the gospel is good news, but when you tell somebody they're going to hell if they reject it, it doesn't seem like good news. Well, you know, um, I, I think of Jeremiah. Uh, when God told him to eat the scrolls, the scrolls, the word of God. Uh, he said, it'll, it'll taste sweet to your mouth. Um, who doesn't like the word of God, all the exhortations and all of the encouragement? In it. But he says, it'll turn your stomach sour. And that's what happens because, Miguel, when we're in the word of God, there's a whole bunch of Romans 8, ch- chapter 8 stuff that, that is just so sweet. If God is for you, who can be against you? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Um, uh, those are wonderful promises, and they, they taste so good. Um, but when you get to some of the other things, the things you got to stop doing, the relationships that you've got to end, the habits that you've got to break, you got to do away with evil and walk in holiness. Well, that doesn't seem like good news when we ingest it. And yet, when we do, when we're faithful to do that, then we understand that, that, that while the, good, the gospel is wonderful news, there's also a responsibility or an individual accountability that goes along with it. So, Miguel, that's what that means. And I think... I, personally, I don't go. I don't tell people they're going to hell. I mean, if they ask me, well, what happens if I don't accept Jesus? Well, then you're going to spend forever in hell. God doesn't want that. Um, but I, I just think we got to tell them the truth. And and the gospel, if you're if you're declaring all of it, is it well life and salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternity hangs in the balance, all those wonderful promises, there is a, a, a severe consequence to saying no to the work that God has accomplished on the cross for all of us. And that consequence is eternity separated from God. So that's all it means, Miguel, and um, how it's re- received by people. Uh, it doesn't depend on your um, uh, explanation 
It depends on the condition of their heart. But would Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of salvation or the power that leads to salvation. And uh, we have to remember that. So I hope that helps. Andrew says, my pastor is taking a summer sabbatical. Is that okay? Andrew, it's okay if he feels like the Lord is leading it and if his uh, uh, church is okay with it. I know a lot of times we pastors don't wait for our church to give approval. Um, but but I got to be honest with you. Uh, while I know pastors who have taken sabbaticals and they say they're they're uh, worth their weight in gold. Um, uh, I've just never got it. I, I don't. I don't get it. For me, uh, it, it would not be okay to take a sabbatical uh, if I'm sick and I can't serve. Uh, we got plenty of people to to fill in and and carry the ball for us. But but just to take time off. Uh, sometimes sabbaticals are taken for study. Other times they're taken just to seek the Lord. Well, I think the Christian needs to um, um, seek the Lord in the middle of his busy day. And and uh, I, I just don't think a sabbatical uh, is much more than a vacation. And I, I know that sounds judgmental, uh, but at least from my perspective. You know, Andrew, I've never missed uh, a communion Sunday in 27 years. Uh, I feel like that's my job, to be with my family when we break bread. I... Now, now, Paula may correct me on this tomorrow, but uh, I don't think I've ever missed two Sundays in a row. Uh, even when I was um, sick, I, I don't think, uh, I, when I say sick, I mean when I was going through heart surgery and stuff like that. I don't think I ever missed two Sundays in a row. I think it's my job to be here at my church um, um, because that's where God's placed me. And then I have one other comment on this injury. That's where I want to be. Uh, we're going on vacation. We'll leave Monday. Uh, we'll leave uh, right after church on Sunday. Um, I'll leave, and then uh, I won't miss. I'll miss one Sunday, and then I'll be back on the Saturday just before uh, that second Sunday comes, and that will be Communion Sunday. I'm just not ever going to miss a Communion Sunday here at the church. So I can't imagine taking the summer off. Now, I, I will say this. Uh, a pastor like John MacArthur, I think John pretty well takes a sabbatical uh, every summer. Uh, it's time off to rest and refresh, but my goodness, I think he's 82 or 3 years old, and he's been pastoring for 50 years. Um, I think probably he's earned a right um, to take care of his body physically and, and emotionally um, but take some time off. But but I think that's a different thing. I think most of the time the, the sabbaticals are being taken by younger pastors who just time to get away. And and uh, I, I with all of my heart, and this is just one pastor's opinion, with all of my heart, um, if I need to take time away from the church that God has blessed me with, then I think I'm in a place where I'm, I'm not really much value to the church uh, at that point. So uh, I just don't want to take 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 that time off. Again, I won't judge somebody who does, uh, but that's just this pastor's perspective on it. Thank you, Andrew. Clint says, Is it okay to ask God questions when reading the Bible? Of course it is, Clint. Of course it is. In fact, uh, when you come to those difficult passages of Scripture or or passages that you don't really understand or you're not sure, you think the Holy Spirit's trying to talk to you about something, but you're not sure exactly what it is, uh, I think... Um, um, it's the right thing to do. Um, just keep your Bible open in your lap and take a, a few moments of prayer and say, Lord, I don't understand this. What are you trying to say to me, Lord? What does it mean? And and what are you trying to say to me? How can I apply that in my life? And Clint, I think the Holy, the Holy Spirit will meet you in those times. I think one of the, the mistakes we make in reading our Bible is we do it um, like we're reading the Reader's Digest. You know, we just start at the beginning, get to the end. And I think uh, while reading the Bible is really important, I think there's times where you got to chew on it a little bit or meditate on it a little bit. And uh, that requires us to take some still time. Um, um, now, Clint, I don't know how long you've been 
listening to the program, but I can't read anymore. My, my, uh, my, my vision is, is that far gone. And so Paula reads to me. And while she's reading it to me, that's exactly the process I'm going through. Lord, what do you want to say to me? Uh, and Lord, in this passage of Scripture that I'm going to be teaching, what do you want me to say for you to the people? And I'm, I'm waiting for direction. I think that's great counsel for all of us. Um, and it slows us down when we're reading the Word. And there, there are just a lot of times when being slowed down is a good thing. So yes, Clint, that is a good uh, good response. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app anonymously. Uh, is it scriptural, scriptural that we aren't allowed to remarry after divorce if the divorce is still alive? Hmm. Or the divorcee is still alive. Thank you and God bless. Um, no. Um, uh, I just taught on this, um, Anonymous, this past Sunday. And, and here's the thing. Every time God gives freedom to divorce, whether it's for adultery, uh, abuse, physical abuse, um, maybe an unbeliever leaves and, and abandonment then uh, allows uh, for the freedom to, to divorce. Every time we're given the freedom to divorce, then we have the freedom to remarry. Period. So um, it is not scriptural that you're not allowed to remarry uh, after divorce. Um, um, God, I, I told our church, and this is a hard pill for a lot of people. I realized this past two weeks, actually, that I was opening a lot of old wounds for people in, in even discussing these things. Uh, but God's first choice is always reconciliation. But remember, if somebody is remarried, they're off the market. And the only way that you can honor God is to honor him in the marriage you're in. So you don't um, sin in order to compensate because you sinned earlier. Uh, so so you you uh, are allowed to remarry if you've been given freedom for divorce. Now, that brings up a problem, and we didn't talk about this here in church this past Sunday. Um, but, you know, Paul says in another place in Scripture that um, uh, if you... Uh, divorce or leave your 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 spouse uh, without biblical reasons then you must not remarry and that's one that everybody most everybody ignores completely anonymous uh, because they don't like to think of the consequences you know i'm i'm desperate i'll get out of this marriage i don't care if i never marry again but then they start getting lonely and they remarry and I think the one thing that we have to do in response to your question is we've got to understand that grace, under the new covenant, grace is always a part of the gospel. And so if you've blown it, if you divorced without biblical reasons and, and then you blew it and you got remarried, um, then, then you repent. You just let God know, I blew it. I'm sorry. I didn't do what you told me to do. I did what I wanted to do, and now I'm reaping the consequences of it. Um, just, just, Lord, please forgive me. And grace, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. And sometimes legalists in the church treat it as though it is. I've had men come to me anonymous and say, well, well, uh, I left my wife, but now I want to go back and, and she doesn't want me back. Uh, and, and that's not right. And I've had people actually demand that as a church we force people to do things. Just a side note, we can't force people to do anything. I tell people all the time, I, I, you know, I, I talk about what God wants all the time and people don't listen. So what makes you think they're going to listen to me? Well, you should insist that no... Why weren't you this serious about your sin that caused the divorce or the separation in the first place? You weren't concerned about not being kind. You weren't concerned about verbally abusing your spouse. You weren't concerned uh, about being selfish. So why why are you in a better position or now in this holier-than-thou position of insisting that your spouse does what you think is the right thing to do when you didn't yourself do it? My point in all of that is to try to get people to deal with their own sin so that grace then can come flowing back into their lives. So please understand, if somebody remarries and they shouldn't have, there's still grace. 
How do we find grace? We repent. God, I'm sorry I did it. And then we don't compound the earlier sin by by, by another sin. Okay, well, I'm going to divorce this one too because, no, you don't do that. You just say, okay, Lord, here's how I'm going to repent. I'm going to show you that I'm going to be the best husband and best wife ever. And I'm going to honor you in this marriage starting right now. And then when you do that, the old is gone, the new has come, your sins are as far from you as east is from west, never to be remembered again. And so we need to remember that. So anonymous, it is not scriptural that you're not allowed to remarry and divorce when Paul says you must remain single. Um, he knew when he wrote it that people weren't going to do that. Good question. Thank you very, very much. i got time for one more question today. Let's see which one it is. Um, it's Lisa. In Exodus chapter 9, all the livestock of Egypt was destroyed. In verse 20 of the same chapter, there were more livestock. Is that a contradiction? Um, no, a couple of things. And and I, I'll give you a, a great direction here for an answer question. Go to gotquestions.org, and they, they will give you several of the possibilities. And I don't know what they were. I don't know what they were. But one thing I can tell you about the Exodus passage of Scripture uh, the the uh, after the livestock were destroyed, it was the Egyptians, the leaders and the rulers, um, who then would have taken, uh, without asking, e- even the, the the livestock that was spared from uh, from the Israelites, the, the livestock that was protected in Goshen. I mean, they were slaves; they could do whatever they want. So, no, I don't think it's a contradiction. At all there are no contradictions in our Bible, but there are some other possibilities as well, Lisa. But um, uh, and also they'll, they'll talk about there's a, a bunch of time that passed and we don't know how much time. Um, we don't know if the, the, the livestock in Goshen that were stolen, um, maybe they were reproduced. We don't know the answer to the question. But what we know is not a contradiction. Hey, tonight I'm going to be teaching in First Kings 20 and tomorrow is going to be our last date day show for the next couple of weeks. Paula will be here. So please tune in and get ready with your phone calls. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Oh,